I'm Dr. Jack West from City of Hope Comprehensive Cancer Center. Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud and at islc.org under the news heading. Hello, I'm Dr. Jack West, Associate Clinical Professor in Medical Oncology at the City of Hope Comprehensive Cancer Center in the Los Angeles area and host of the IESLC podcast, Lung Cancer Considered, where we are very happy to be joined today by Dr. Rafael Mesa, who is an Associate Professor in the Department of Epidemiology and co-leader of the Cancer Epidemiology and Prevention Program at the Rogel Cancer Center at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me, Jack, and looking forward to our conversation. Excellent. So Dr. Mesa is the senior author of a recently published article in the Journal of Thoracic Oncology entitled Potential Impact of Cessation Interventions at the Point of Lung Cancer Screening on Lung Cancer and Overall Mortality in the United States. So let's start with some of the background of the issues at hand. Can you just review the state of screening in the U.S., who's getting screened, and the opportunity with smoking cessation? Absolutely. So as, as you or some of our listeners know, lung cancer screening is now recommended, uh, largely thanks to the results of the National Lung Screening Trial, which was published in uh, 2011 and, and now, I guess, uh, strengthened by the recently published results of the Nelson trial, which was a European trial that uh, both of them showed um, considerable mortality reduction for those uh, receiving lung cancer screening relative to those uh, uh, not in the kind of, in the case of Nelson and in the case of NLST, those receiving low-dose CT screening relative to those receiving uh, chest X-ray. Um, so since uh, 2014, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force has uh, recommended screening. In 2015, uh, the Centers for Medicare Services decided to cover it uh, for Medicare users. And since then, I guess it's it's been uh, recommended and and uh, screening programs have been established in the U.S. Um, unfortunately, the uptake uh, hasn't been as, as high as I would hope. Of course, it's the beginning. And, and of course, things will take time uh, to, to speed up. But uh, uh, I, think, I think the most recent numbers suggest that maybe 10% of those eligible uh, are receiving screening, and and one thing important to to, to recall is that um, the, the the it's not for everybody. Uh, is is recommended for those who have um, uh, considerable uh, history of smoking, in particularly uh, at least what we call thirty pack years uh, of smoking, and either current or former smokers. And for those former smokers with no more than fifteen years since quitting. And uh, between the ages of 55 and 80, if you follow the task force guidelines, or 77 if you follow CMS. Now, obviously, this is a population enriched for smoking, but at least in the U.S., and I would say globally, uh, only a fraction of the people who are getting screened are current smokers. Probably a growing proportion are ex-smokers. So what proportion of patients are you anticipating would be candidates for a target of smoking cessation efforts in, in screening? 
So, so, so the interesting thing is that that if you just look at overall the population who, who would be eligible, um, it's about half half, uh, maybe 40, 60, 40 smokers, 60 current. Sorry, sorry. Uh, we have a half half uh, about, or maybe like 40, 60 with maybe 40 current, uh, 60 former. So it's still a considerable number of, of current smokers um, who are eligible for screening. And that uh, as part of the screening process, they could uh, benefit from uh, cessation interventions at the point of screening. And, and if, if they are, uh, uh, I guess, if, if we are able to bring smokers uh, into lung cancer screening, that presents uh, a wonderful opportunity for us to try to uh, maybe convince these folks or, or, or if they're already convinced uh, to help them find the resources that they need to be able to quit smoking. So it presents itself like a great opportunity. And, and unfortunately, with the low uptake, we're not making the most of it. Well, obviously, some uh, screening programs are integrating smoking cessation. But is there any clear standard of how that is being done or should be done as part of screening? Or is it still an ad hoc effort? Yeah, so while both, for instance, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force and CMS recommend the integration of cessation uh, services as part of the of the uh, lung screening process, um, there aren't yet like uh, best practices or standards uh, that 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 different practices could follow. Um, of course, there are, we know there are effective cessation interventions, but those have not been studied necessarily within the the, the lung cancer screening setting and with a population uh, such as the lung cancer screening um, eligible population. As, as we mentioned, this, this will tend to be maybe on the, on the heavy exposure side of things. Uh, they're very specific in terms of their age range and, and, of course, the other risk factors that they might have. So maybe some of those in, interventions that have been tested, they haven't really been tested in, in this group. So I think that's, that's one of the... the I guess, missing pieces of information that we need, uh, which is uh, uh, which interventions would be specifically effective uh, for, for this group. And, and uh, fortunately, right now in the U.S., there are several ongoing trials that are trying to, to at least measure for some specific interventions if they would or would not be, be effective uh, in this context. Um, so there is uh, the, the National Cancer Institute has put together uh, a set of trials called the NCI scale collaboration, uh, smoking cessation in lung screening setting. And this is a set of eight trials that are uh, testing different interventions at this specific or within this specific setting. And so hopefully after these trials are, are published and are done, we'll be able to come up with some best practices and, and, and guidelines of which are the most effective programs and, and at which moment, which we can also talk about that. So what was the question you asked and how did you approach it? Yes. Yeah, so, so kind of to, to, to the idea I was to, to, to think about and, and, and get started off, well, if there are uh, interventions that are effective and, and, and going from maybe mildly effective to, to, to highly effective, what could be the impact that this could have uh, in terms of uh, exponentiating or maybe multiplying the potential benefits of lung screening? 
So, so what we did is we used simulation modeling, uh, uh, established uh, lung cancer screening simulation model um, to ask this question, right? And, and basically simulate the process of both screening, uh, which was something that this model was already able to do, and then ask the question like, if when you um, identify or bring smokers into screening, uh, if you have a hypothetical intervention that maybe 5% or 10% of them going through intervention would quit uh, around the time of the first screen, what would be the, 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 the health consequences right, of that? And what would be the gains? And so basically we simulated the U.S. population or specific cohorts of the U.S. population and then, and then simulated that certain fraction of, of, of those individuals who would be eligible screening would get screened. And of course, a fraction of them will be smokers. And then we simulated them going through that cessation intervention and that a certain percentage would quit as a consequence of that intervention. And then we just went ahead and calculate all the different uh, outcomes that, 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 that the model can produce, such as lung cancer outcomes, as well as uh, mortality outcomes. And so we were able to calculate how many additional lung cancer deaths would be prevented due to the cessation intervention, and how many additional life years uh, would be gained as a consequence of people quitting and, and not dying from all the different things that they could. What, what were the key modeling assumptions that you made in terms of rates of uh, smoking cessation and uh, you know, detection of cancer, some of the other issues that were the key factors in the model that were big influencers. Yeah, so um, the model that we use is is the Michigan Lung Cancer Screening Model, which is a model which is part of this uh, collaboration called CISNET, the Cancer Intervention and Surveillance Modeling Network. Um, this is a group of models and modelers that have been working together since 2005 and that uh, we've developed together models both of the U.S. population and their smoking patterns, historical, current, and even uh, projecting future patterns, and then the models who predict lung cancer incidence and outcomes as a function of those smoking histories for an individual, as well as um, uh, other, other, other covariates and other factors. So, so the models... Uh, or this model, for instance, is uses also a, a simulator called the smoking history generator that simulates individuals for the U.S. with patterns of smoking like those in the U.S. So, so the cessation rates, the background cessation rates that are uh, in the model come from this simulator. Um, and then the how the model reproduces uh, or, or simulates uh, lung cancer outcomes, it comes from, from, from fitting of this model to national data like, like the serial registry, uh, trial data like the NLST and, and the PLCO uh, lung screening trials, as well as uh, uh, data from, from uh, prospective cohorts like the nurses health, health professionals follow-up study. So that's kind of the baseline. And then what we did, because we don't know what the impact of these cessation interventions might be at the point of screening, so we basically played with the range. Uh, we did uh, reviews of the literature, and we actually published a paper before this on a meta-analysis of, of what could be the impact of these interventions in um, uh, among this population or within this population. And then uh, and we used that range and kind of basically assumed from zero 
as the, the probability of quitting for the intervention all the way to 30% and basically re-simulated everything over and over again and changing that, that quitting probability. And then the other critical parameter was um, how many people are actually going to uh, end up getting strained or, or showing up for screening. And that we range from zero all the way to 100% of those eligible. And, and those are, are, of course, the key things that, that drive the, the main outcomes. Um, so what were the, the key findings from the modeling that you did? Um, the key findings is that, that uh, I think it's, it's not surprising, but it, it was surprising the level uh, that, uh, of additional health gains that you could get from even mildly effective uh, cessation programs at the point of screening. And one of the things is we simulated a very, very uh, simple and, and maybe in some sense uh, limited intervention, which was a cessation intervention only once around the time of your first screen. So we were very conservative in the sense, okay, let's just see what one of these does. And what we ended up finding was that the, the, there would be, an, of course, uh, an increase in the, in the lung cancer deaths that would be prevented as a combination of these integrated screening and cessation programs, but that also, of course, you're going to have considerable gains in the number of life years due to all the other things that you might prevent if you get some of these people to quit. So there is a considerable impact, even of mild, uh, uh, mildly effective uh, interventions on lung cancer deaths, but even more in terms of everything else that you could prevent. Uh, and 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 so so so, those of course could be uh, could increase and be much larger uh, as a function if if you have more effective interventions, and of course uh, the more of of the smokers who are eligible to screening that you're able to actually get to. Is there reason to expect that patients undergoing screening would potentially be more receptive, and that this could be a real teachable moment for patients who are now? thinking seriously about the risks of continuing to smoke? Uh, there are, and there's, there's, this has been a topic of debate. And of course, there's, there's two sides. And, and uh, um, there were concerns, of course, like if someone gets screened and it's negative, if they're going to feel uh, reassured that they don't have anything and that might, uh, right. I guess, disincentivize them to, to, to quit versus the idea of the teachable moment, right? They're going to be meeting with a clinician, talking about their health, talking about their lung cancer risk, and, and maybe even the results of the screen might end up having an impact uh, in, their, in their decision. Uh, the National Lung Screening Trial actually found that uh, in, in, as a function of, of the result of the, of the scan or of the screen, the, the more worrisome the result was, the more likely people were to quit. In, in so, so there is evidence for, for that teachable moment. There is evidence for uh, the fact that now that you have them here, uh, maybe this is going to help them quit. But that is really where um, uh, the cessation intervention, being through counseling, being through WEF interventions, being through other means, maybe uh, facilitating access to, to nicotine replacement therapy and other things, that it's 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 if you have a cessation intervention in place, then you'll be able to to make the most of whatever the results and whatever the concerns of the patient are at this particular moment, and make sure that 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 shelf reassurance actually doesn't happen. Right. So I think I think um, 
whatever it is, is, is the fact that you have smokers coming to a clinic, it provides an opportunity for you to really uh, take advantage and, and, and see if you can help them quit. And I think, I think that's, that's, that's in general. It's, it's, it's the teachable moment, but also it's probably just the opportunity that they are there. Right. But I think, you know, it does make sense that their motivation might be particularly strong if, the, if they have a more worrisome positive, even a false positive in terms of nodules or even just uh, finding emphysematous changes could be something that, you know, we consider that a negative scan, but that is an opportunity to highlight that there are real harmful effects of the smoking they've been doing. And that could be an opportunity to capitalize on the scan result, even if it's negative for cancer, to um, to motivate people to, to quit smoking. So I think there's a lot of potential there there's there's a lot and 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 one thing that is it's interesting that the scan might be negative for for cancer but uh there are a lot of incidental findings and and you might end up also finding other things that that might end up also be motivating uh for for the for the patient to 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 rethink their their smoking uh habit i i recall a paper it was actually in the journal of thoracic oncology back in 2011 so approaching a decade ago that looked at cost effectiveness of chest ct screening and really concluding that the cost effectiveness is highly associated with the probability of screened patients quitting uh, and even showing that if patients didn't or were reassured that would really uh, make it a very uh, non-cost effective approach i presume that uh, though your model focused on lung cancer and other mortality, it uh, it would support the same principle that the the benefits are much greater and presumably also the cost effectiveness depending on uh, on smoking cessation efforts. Absolutely, and I think I think one of the key things is the fact that um, our main finding is a, a considerable increase in live years gain. That already tells you that that is going to have a huge effect on the cost effectiveness of 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 lung screening uh, as, as as a thing, but also of course um, when you when you factor or you, you factor the, the the cost of the cessation intervention. In fact, um, this the, the work that we published in JTO is is really our our first step, a stepping stone to uh, work that will follow, one of them looking at the cost effectiveness of potential real interventions that um, we're at this point uh, conducting um, using or combining uh, the result of that, those meta-analyses that, that I mentioned earlier with the modeling to really look at and, and costing of some of those uh, interventions that we identified as, as promising and 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 doing the full uh, uh, I guess analysis to really incorporate both aspects and 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 uh, so this is our next step. Then then the, the, after that, really, what we are awaiting are uh, is for the for the results of the of the scale collaboration trials, which they will now provide uh, specific outcomes of cessation interventions within the uh, point of screening where. They will also be costing those specific interventions. So we'll be able to use uh, costs from from actual implementations, and then do uh, in collaboration with the scale uh, trials and analysis of the cost effectiveness of all these different uh, range of interventions that they're looking at. But for the most part, given the the big gains that you that you're having. Um, 
if it's 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 would be very unlikely that that the improvements in cost effectiveness wouldn't be uh, quite dramatic to really i think long screening for the most part, uh, has been shown to be cost-effective, but it's always kind of at that boundary of, of is it or is it not. Um, I think I think when you factor the cessation interventions, it would make it a no-brainer uh, and, and very, very cost-effective. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, right now, of course, only a, a small minority of eligible patients are getting screened, and only about half of them are current smokers. Given the huge uh, impact of of this smoking cessation effort on mortality, should we be not focusing far more on on smoking cessation efforts for younger patients without using screening as a gatekeeper? And a lot of those people who are smoking in their 30s or 40s, they're not eligible for CT screening. But if we could have effective smoking cessation and really push those tools independent of CT screening, I imagine the, the, the models would show huge effects uh, down the road. Is that a fair way of thinking of this? Absolutely. And I think, I think this, this, is, this is kind of result of a, a specific uh, uh, issue, which is, is relevant probably now, uh, given that we still have high uh, or relatively high levels of smoking rates and, and a relatively large number of individuals who've smoked for long enough uh, to be able to have that exposure and be eligible for screening. And I think I think it's true. It's 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 the age range. It's also I mean for screening is those with at least thirty pack years, right? So so there are all the smokers that might not have or current reform smokers who might not have those thirty pack years but that they would still benefit from quitting. So absolutely, we need to think about them and also those who might be still too young uh, to be able to, to fall in the, in the category. Uh, so, so no question about that, that the cost effectiveness of, of smoking cessation interventions have been shown over and over again. It's, it's, something, that is, it's, it's, it's something that can lead to incredible benefits. Uh, and, and for the most part, many of them are not that expensive. So, so they make them, again, kind of cost saving or, or very, very cheap to implement. Um, one thing that I will say is that Fortunately, smoking is going down in the U.S., and and we uh, are probably uh, opposed to hit the the or getting very close to the twelve percent uh, healthy twenty twenty goal, which is amazing that we are going to be able to achieve that. So I think I think one of the things that we're seeing and and that we see in the simulation is that as we move forward in time, there's going to be fewer and fewer individuals that meet the screening eligibility. So in that sense, you, you're right. It's, it's not only not only the younger people, but as we move in time, in, in 10, 15, 20 years, the percentage of the population and the percentage of smokers who meet the screening uh, criteria is going to decrease and decrease and decrease. So there are two lessons for that. Like if we really want to maximize the impact of screening, it has to be now. So we really need to get people screened who are eligible now. And the second is, for the most part, and the same, if, if we're running in and try to help those those eligible people quit smoking, the time is now. Because uh, just from population numbers, uh, there's going to be fewer fewer that are going to be eligible under current criteria. Of course, criteria could change, and uh, but, but absolutely, this is a specific group. It's a specific setting. 
uh, has specific considerations. Um, we also should support quitting and, and, and those who don't meet eligibility and are in the right age, or even those who are young. Well, Dr. Mesa, thank you so much for taking the time today, and congratulations on the publication of this work. On behalf of IASLC, the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, this is Dr. Jack West. Until next time. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, looking forward to chatting again. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Visit the news section on IASLC.org for more lung cancer considered podcasts. And please like your favorite episodes on SoundCloud and share them with your friends and colleagues. This is Dr. Jack West. Until next time.